0: Well, good evening and welcome. It's so great to see lots of different faces here this evening. Um, For those of you that don't know, um, my name is Sarah, and I'm one of the kids' workers here at Church Unlimited. And on behalf of the team here, we just want to extend a very warm welcome to you all and also just apologize for those people that have been very patiently waiting We've learned our first lesson that maybe 45 minutes for teas and coffees is a bit long. (laughs) So thank you for your patience. Um, Just before we get to the really interesting stuff, I have been asked to point out a couple of housekeeping details for you. Um, The first of which is in the very unlikely event that we have a fire um, in the building this evening, we would ask you to head out of the Exit here or the exit here and just to congregate in the car park behind me. In the very likely event that you need to use the toilets, especially after all that tea and coffee, um, those are located through these red doors and straight at the end of the corridor on the right-hand side. So, that said... um, We are here tonight to um, listen to a talk about parenting. I saw uh, a poster recently which said, parenting is like a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. And I thought, wow, there's some truth in that. Um, Parenting is this wonderful, exciting adventure filled with amazing, wondrous things, but also some pretty scary things lurking in the background, and that is why we are so fortunate in this country to have a resource like The Parenting Place, who are just amazing at guiding parents through that park, that journey. Um, They give fantastic advice, have a range of brilliant resources, but alongside all of that, what i feel really stands them out is that they encourage alongside the advice they encourage and that's really what parents and grandparents and anyone involved in raising children that's what we all want we want to be feel like we're being cheered along and um, that definitely for me is what the parenting place do so it is my great honour to introduce our speaker tonight from the Parenting Place, and I'd really like it if you could join me in giving him a proper Whangarei warm welcome to Mr. John Cowan. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for that unearned clap and. Uh, Parenting is like a walk through Jurassic Park. I suppose it's only appropriate that you've got a dinosaur up the front uh, this evening to talk about parenting in the good old days. And that is something I am conscious of, uh, that I'm, uh, with the exception of perhaps one notable, I'm perhaps the oldest person in the room. And I'm very conscious that it is different raising kids today. But could I just say, modern parents do a fantastic job. I mean, it's very typical of baby boomers to go on and on, After I've gone on about how long it used to take them to walk to school through the frost and their bare feet and everything, they go on about how uh, everything is worse today, TV is worse, music's worse, and especially parenting is worse. You're all a pack of snowflakes who worry too much and too anxious and overly protective, and I think that's rubbish. I think modern parents are doing a fantastic job. I take my hats off to you because um, you're so motivated uh, I was just talking to someone before of my vintage saying that, you know, well, we didn't have anything like this in my, our day. Well, the thing is we have things like this today because you want them. You want to learn. And you go to bookshops and there's rows of books and you stand, uh, I bet you've got a, heaps of things bookmarked on the Internet and you've got all sorts of favorite go-to places that, that uh, can help you if you're parenting. You're intentional and you're doing it well. So I reckon the fruit of that is in the fact that you've got lovely kids. So after I've now butted you up, I'll tell you off. Okay. No, um, the parenting place, yes, we've been around for about 25 years, helping parents do all sorts of things, and I'll just push a button. Yeah, we run toolbox courses. That's perhaps the thing that I'd really urge you to get, a cha- get along to if you can. Six sessions with a trained facilitator, watching video clips and, and discussing with each other, and... You learn so much, you feel like you've got a master's degree in parenting at the end. Not only do you learn from the course material, you also learn from the other parents on the course. And one of the most encouraging things you learn uh, from the other parents is that some of them have got worse kids than you have. So that's always very encouraging. So get along. It's uh, a lot of fun. That's the thing, though. We try and make it fun. But there's also uh, programs for high schoolers that we've been doing for years to uh, encourage them and give them mental health and and life tips and things. Uh, we do marriage and relationship stuff because, uh, I, by the way, I'm convinced that if you're parenting on your own, par- parents doing it on their own can and do raise awesome kids. They can they can do it. You'll be the first to admit that it's tougher covering those extra bases on your own. I want to encourage you though, to, uh, in any way we can. If your parenting is a team as a mum and dad together, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to look after that adult relationship. So we do do things for, for relationships and marriages and lots of online resources and also parent coaches. So if you're ever stuck with a problem in your parenting, just pop down to Green Lane and uh, that, that's probably not very convenient, is it? So you can do it by email or Skype as well. So check out all the online stuff and uh, there's lots of resources there. And speaking of stuff online, I believe the talk tonight is going to be available through the church's website, uh, audio and video, I think. Is that right? No? Just the audio? Well, they'll miss out on how good looking I am. (laughs) That may not be a bad thing. That's my tribe. My kids are all older than yours, I'm sure, and um, Bernie's 30, Susie's 28, Guy's 26, and they still all talk to me, so that's good, and... um, the other thing is none of them live in Auckland anymore. I'm an empty, nest, an empty nester and I miss them. So my first bit of advice to you is, if your kids are still within easy hugging range, please do it, okay? Make the most of this time. Good on you, straight away, that's good. And uh, because I, I do miss kids, my kids. I lo- love that we can stay in touch with each other um, through social media and things, but it's not quite the same. And it's lovely to see them getting on with their life and everything, but uh, if you've got kids, don't waste time doing, doing the house up. Weekends are for sliding down hills on stolen real estate agent signs and stuff like that, okay? Make the most of that time that you can have with your kids. And uh, my wife is a CEO with um, a, uh, an, an, a not-for-profit that provides mental health care. She's got about 80 staff and, uh, and I just float around on the edge So my oldest and hairiest headed off to Europe and started sending back pictures like that one. And then, who is that? And he met this gorgeous girl over there, and then he proposed to her, and then we had a lovely wedding. And then fantastically, we got this letter from the government saying we could keep her. So that was very encouraging. So they're living in Tauranga now and uh, uh, currently incubating our grandchild that'll be arriving in September. So that's another change. And um, only one clap. Thank you. But anyway... That's Susie, and she's working, uh, that's not her being attacked by a bear, that's a, a dog that she had, actually died, oh, heartbreaking. Anyway, she's doing very well down in Palmy, and uh, that's our rock star son. Look, any sensible, par- any sensible parent would dissuade a child from a career in music. Unfortunately, our kids never had the advantage of having a sensible parent, and so he's having a lot of fun with his music, uh, not last year, year before last toured through 26 countries doing his music last year not so many countries but he did play at Coachella which was a bit of a buzz and his support acts were um, Eminem and uh, Beyonce and uh, don't think it quite worked like that but he is on that bill somewhere probably in tiny print about 40 from the top but uh, so he's having a lot of fun down in Christchurch doing his music and uh, doing some study and things. So happy resilient and confident kids seemed like a fairly reasonable smattering of ideas that I'd want to get across, and could I just say, let's not stop there, let's just add to that list. How about happy, confident, and resilient kids who reach their potential? There's nothing more typical than kids with a ton of brains who fail to achieve as well as they could, and it's usually because they put the handbrake on uh, themselves. Oh, what if I try hard and I still fail? I'm not cool enough to hang out with those kids. I'm not dumb. I'm not smart. I'm dumb. And they they limit themselves with their own lousy messages that they give themselves. And so some of what we're going to talk about tonight is how to help your kids have good self-talk, to take those breaks off. Kids who get on with others are happy kids. I saw just yesterday a thing which said about 70% of our happiness in life comes from our relationships. It's nice to make a stack of money and have advancement and a good career, but 70% of it can be tracked back to our relationships. And so if our kids um, have great relationships and great friendships and go on to have intimacy in their in their adult life, that's fantastic. And for some kids, that is just so natural. And uh, they're extroverted, they fit in, they like people, people like them. But for others, it's an effort. And, um, and it's a learned skill. And the good thing is you can learn it. You can learn it. So Some of what we're going to talk about tonight will impact that as well. Kids who can think for themselves, and by that I mean when they hit a problem, they don't just panic, they don't just run away, they don't just look for an excuse or someone to blame, they roll up their sleeves and go, this is my problem, let's start fixing it. And that is an awesome legacy to give your kids. And it mainly comes out of good discipline, I'll be touching upon the topic of discipline as we go along and uh, but all sorts of other things too and by the way they do their own thinking not just depend on the thinking of the group around them very typically even good kids get in with a crowd and whatever the crowd's doing they'll want to do it as well so that peer pressure can be a very scary thing and uh, so kids who can think for themselves who've got their own internal guidance and who've got a bit of Uh, moral fibre to be able to do the right thing. That's awesome. And what we're going to talk about tonight will impact that as well. And kids who are contributors. And by that I mean kids who are not just looking after their own selfish needs, but looking outwards to their whānau, to their community, to their world. They're they're contributors. Now, if you could tick all those boxes with your kids, you're going to make a pretty awesome speech at their 21st, aren't you? And if you think you're going to get everything you need in 90 minutes from me on how to achieve all those things, minus a two-minute toilet break that you'll probably need in about 45 minutes, um, then you're dreaming. So we'll get a few little ideas. Some ideas, some of the key ideas that I think contribute to that. And by the way, when you're talking about even just something like resilience, there's a stack of things that contribute to that. Like um, having people that are on side with them, having opportunities to explore and experiment, um, having a a right amount of risk in your world so that you're not overly protected, but you're not in danger so that you can actually um, be pushing the envelope. And so there's all sorts of things, and I'll only have a chance to touch briefly on a couple of things which I think are most important to it. But if your kids are going to get anywhere near those goals, if that's their... um, you know, key performance indicators, you've got some KPIs as well to achieve if your kids are going to do that. And so here's your list of things that you have to achieve. This is your homework. The first thing is relax and enjoy your children. Now, the type of people that would give up a night in front of a telly on a Friday night to come out in the middle of winter to go to a parenting seminar might be so uptight about their parenting that they're actually stuffing things up You know what I mean? You know that type of parent that is sort of endlessly checking and supervising and scrutinizing their child, and it wears that child down. I mean, as far as I'm aware, having children is not some punishment from God for enjoying sex too much. I believe they're meant actually to be a bit of a blessing. And so could I just say, um, it matters so much when your children get the sense you love them, that you're proud of them, that you're content with them. I actually love cycling. You can tell by my lithe athletic build that I'm obviously a keen cyclist, but I do enjoy getting out on my road bike and pounding around on the roads. And when I do, especially on my road bike, I like to make sure that the tyres are really hard. Those skinny little tyres, you pump them up to over 100 pounds so that the rolling resistance is good and low. And I would check my tyres before I go for a ride, and oh, down to 70 pounds. And so pump, 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 back up to 100, go out for my ride next week, check the tyres, down to about 70 again. Oh, cheap AliExpress tyres, pump, 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 pump pump them up every week. It took me literally years to work out that the pump that I was using to check the pressure, because the gauge was on the pump, let air out of the tyre and up into the gauge. It deflated the tyre as I checked it. And so I could have pumped it up to 100, taken the thing off, put it straight back on again, it would be back down to 70. Okay, do you, have you got it? The, the, the air actually, there's not much air in those little tires, and so it deflated them. Take that rather weak analogy into your parenting. Endlessly checking your children deflates them. Your children know when they walk out in the morning that you're running your eye over them. It's not a, a look of greeting, of delight, of joy that you, you know, they have entered onto the stage of their life. You're checking that there's not something crusty around under their nose or that they've got the right shoes on or that they've got everything they need for school or, and things like this. And there's just that sort of commandant stare that you manage to give them that let them know that they are being checked and they feel it intensely. Could I urge you to just monitor that in yourself and instead try and go, ah, when you see them. It's a lovely greeting. You might like to practice on your partner because there's not much difference between ah and ah, okay? (laughs) And they do pick that up, okay? Let your children know that you are delighted in them and this has such a profound impact on their confidence on their resilience, on their idea that they've got a home base, it's fantastic. And so do try and do that. And also listen to your tone of voice when you're talking to your kids. Because it is so easy to drop into parent talk. Could you bring that here? Go back and close that nicely. What is it now? That tone of voice? Just listen to your own tone of voice and ask yourself, do I use that tone of voice with any other adult? apart from my husband, okay? Just make sure that, you know, that, you, that, you've, that you've got that respect and that delight that you enjoy them. Enjoy your children, have fun with them. That's possibly parenting's secret weapon, it's having fun with your kids. And even if you do have the worst kids in Northland, at least go through while they're asleep and while they're lying there drooling on the pillow, go, oh, aren't they lovely when they're unconscious? And just enjoy your children. It makes such a profound difference. Find out what works for you and your kids. I mentioned before about all the resources that parents access and you will have a stack of books and you would have got advice from other people and your in-laws are giving you advice and everything like this. And some of that advice is gold. It works brilliantly at their place, but it may not necessarily work at your place. There are ideas that I'm going to give you tonight that I believe work fantastically at our place, and yet they'll hit the ground like a load of lead at your place. And it's not because it's a dumb idea, it's just that your family, your children are different from mine. Not There are a few one-size-fits-all parenting techniques, but most of them need to be tailored to fit your children. So some ideas need to be tweaked and adjusted to suit them and to suit you. Because there's some ideas that you're just not going to be happy with. Okay, that's all right. There's other ideas. That's always the good thing. There are other things to try. So if something doesn't work, try it again, because sometimes you have to persist. And then if it still doesn't work, adjust it. And if it still doesn't work, throw it out and try something else. There are always new ideas. I think my parents, my kids used to get so heartily sick of, oh, yay, another wall chart. Okay, but uh, they were guinea pigs, I admit, and I was trying to work out some of this stuff. But hey... Find out what works and suits you. You may need to consult an expert and that e- on, on your kids, and that expert is yourself. No one knows those kids as well as you. That flash author that's published that expensive book that you bought on parenting, he hasn't met your kids, but you know those kids so well. When your in-laws give advice, go, thank you, that's great. Smile, and then you don't have to do it. Okay, <laughs> you express your gratitude, but you know those kids so well. Don't sweat the small stuff. Now, that sounds such a trite phrase. What does that actually mean in the coalface of parenting? Basically, the big stuff is the stuff that will kill them if they get it wrong. It will give them a criminal record or wreck their health or take away options in their future. That's big stuff. Okay, so a lot of stuff can be just shrugged at, especially stuff to do with hair. And, you know, you just, is this really worth the big fight? With, if you've got teenagers, you'd ask yourself questions like, how many teenagers actually die from wet towels being left on a bed? Literally, how many? Not that many, really, honestly, okay? How many teenagers die after they go driving with their mates after they've been drinking? Too many, okay? That's us, they fairly dramatically sort out the columns, doesn't it? There's some stuff there that if they get wrong, it wrecks them, gives them a criminal record. Messes with the head, that type of stuff. That's where the big energy goes. But are you still going to be working on those wet towels? Yes. Because in a strange way, getting those kids to pick up those towels and take them out to the laundry and clean up their room is going to make them safer when they go out with their mates on Saturday night. Because discipline here in the home leads to self-discipline there when they're out of your sight. Okay that's why we bother with discipline it's not just to get kids who do what they're told it's not just to get compliance it's to help them learn to make better decisions make good decisions in those places where it really matters if your kids decided to have a career in the army and they head off down to Waiuru on the bus Waiuru is a fantastic place to train soldiers because after you've been there a while, the idea of going overseas and getting shot doesn't seem like such a bad option. But um, you get off the bus at the military camp and there's a sergeant major to greet you, and I bet he doesn't go, G'day guys, look, hey, there's a tank over there, why don't you take it for a spin and fire off a few rounds? And there's some machine guns over there, why don't you go and have a play? No, I reckon he probably barks at them the moment their foot hits the ground off the bus and starts getting them standing up straight, and then he shows them how to polish their boots and make their beds and parade around a a parade ground and why because the army knows that discipline here in the camp creates self-discipline out there on the battlefield where it really matters and so that's one of the reasons you do discipline it's not just to get compliance and don't sweat the small stuff though is something that you need to really think about at times am i getting worked up over something that doesn't really matter and the last one up there is get a life get a life. Should you even really be here Friday night? you here? Well, maybe you should. Okay, so um, what I'm meaning is, if you've got a baby, and it's lovely to see these babies, welcome to the planet, um, but if you've got a baby, you know that they are just bottomless pits of need. You just pour in all your love and time and money and attention and sleep into this uh, little unit, and they reward you with vomit and poo. And uh, But they grow and they grow and they need you less and less to be a caretaker and more and more as a coach. As they're able to shovel food into their faces and pull their own clothes on, they don't need you quite so much in that capacity, but they still desperately need you to show them how to live life. If you're wanting to have happy, confident and resilient kids and all those other things, they need to see happy, confident and resilient parents. Your role becomes to live out a good life in front of your kids. That is the most reliable way your kids are going to have a good life. And so they need to see you having mates. They need to see you doing some art or something creative and relaxing creatively and enjoying stuff. If your life, when your kids are school age or older, if your life is still just totally fixated on them and revolving around them, you are not modeling a healthy lifestyle, you're modeling a neurotic lifestyle. You need to love your kids enough to get out of the house occasionally and leave them with a babysitter to go out on a date or to turn off their music and listen to your music. You know, I I, I am fighting this temptation of of saying, you know, in my day, but in my day, a weekend used to revolve around your dad's sport, not the kid's sport. Isn't that different nowadays? I bet some of you are going to three different sporting venues on a Saturday or more. Yeah. (laughs) But what I'm I'm saying, and that's good. That's good. They won't remember a thing of that when they're older, but it's still good that you're doing it. But... um, What I'm saying is, though, live out a good life in front of your kids, uh, looking after your physical health, looking after your your growth, okay? So some of this means that they need to... Look, nobody's got enough money, nobody's got enough time, but some of that limited money and limited time needs to be spent on coffee, gym memberships, your own music, okay, getting away, getting a break, Okay, you need to love your kids enough to get away from a weekend without them. (gasps) But I'd be such an neglectful parent if I did that, some of you are thinking. You know, your overactive duty gland is kicking in. No, tired, bored, burnt out parents and neglectful parents, even if they're on the job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and your kids deserve better than that. Okay, so are you hearing me? My wife recently celebrated 25 years of going away twice a year with her girlfriend off to a batch. She's had these little retreats twice a year since the kids were little. Okay, so, uh, and it recharges her. I can manage when the kids were little, you know. Oh, no, I didn't really, but uh, I benefited so much from her coming back, so I switched on and relaxed, and Naomi and I got away for weekends. You're not leaving them locked up in a cupboard somewhere. They're going to be well cared for, but they'd miss me. You wish. They'll have a great time. Okay. <laughs> They probably won't even notice that you've gone. But anyhow, but what I mean is even if they do miss you, they benefit so much from you coming back switched on, refreshed, energized, more in love with your partner, and, you know, so they do benefit. Okay, this is maintenance. This is maintenance. Look after yourself for their sake. If you're totally, totally into martyrdom to your children, at least... Take this on board. (gasps) Okay, for them, I'll force myself to have some fun and do a hobby and get away for them, but I'm only doing it for them. Okay, if you need to do that type of motivation, that's okay, all right? But you are benefiting them if you're looking after yourself. And if that's the only point that you take home from tonight, then that's a, a pretty tragic waste of 90 minutes. I'm sorry for wasting your time. But anyhow, it is still a valuable point. Okay, look, get a life. And I'm rambling. Now, onto the issue of resilience and happiness and all these other things, the single biggest factor that they can't have those things without is believing that they're loved by you. Okay, I didn't say "Uh are actually loved by you, but they need to believe that they're loved by you because I can assume you do love them. I've never met a parent who doesn't really love their children. They can't remember exactly why they like them, but they do love them but sometimes kids don't believe that they're loved. And if a kid has a gold credit card and servants and living in a mansion but doesn't feel loved, there's no way they're going to be happy, confident, and resilient. Okay, this is the key thing. And by the way, could I just say, if your kids feel loved and safe, you already have your pass mark as a parent. You can make lots and lots of other mistakes as long as your kids feel loved and safe. My parents made tons of mistakes, but I had no doubt about those things, and they were fantastic parents. If your kids feel loved and safe, they enjoy being with you and enjoy coming home and things like this, they will say wonderful things about you at your funeral. So don't worry about that. Okay, some of you do worry about that. They, they will still, you know, despite all your other mistakes and failings, they will get, it, you'll, you've got it right, basically. All this other stuff is just extras, But I think some of the extras will help you get there a bit easily. So single biggest factor being secure in your love. Well, of course you love them, but what could get in the way of them feeling loved? Well, if you're a typical person, a normal person, most of you would put that category, I'm sure, um, you will have a favorite TV show, a favorite type of food, a favorite band. And if you've got more than one child and you think about them, one of them is just a little bit more cuddly. One of them's just a little bit more compliant and easy to get on with than the other one. And could I urge you not to ever think about that again? Don't even concede to yourself that you've got a favorite. Can you see what's going on in that picture up there? It's actually not just a cutesy nature picture. It's actually quite horrible. And some of you know what it's like to be that little bird to be stomped on while the brother gets the worm. And so favoritism really does erode a kid's sense of security and feeling um, uh, confident and um, and if you really enjoy sibling rivalry in your house this is the way to really stoke it up if you really want to have fights and whining and grizzling in your house then let them be uh, let them think that you can have favorites okay nothing is possibly as erodes a heart as much as thinking you're a less loved child so do have that consciously in your mind. It does work against the natural inclination we sometimes have because kids do differ. But it doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to treat your children equally. If you've got a little baby and other children, you can't divide your time equally. If you've got a special needs child, you can't divide your time equally. But you allow every child to know that they're loved enough. And so you can say things, oh, gee, it's, it's great that you're so helpful while well, I'm looking after Sam, but tell, but... Look, when I put them down to sleep and I've made a cup of tea, you bring me a book to read me. And so even while you're caring for your baby, you're still letting them know that you're thinking about them. Even if they know that they're only getting a little bit of your time, that's usually enough. And mum dates and dad dates where they can go out and have some time on their own with you, that helps that immensely too. Okay, poor little bird. Anyway, how do you let your kids know that they are loved? Telling them is wonderful but sometimes the wisest and most profound and wonderful thing you can say to your children is, mmm, with a slightly constipated look on your face, mmm, oh honey, how did that make you feel? Okay, it's this idea that what is important to you is important to me. I care about the things that you care about. This is troubling you. I can see that there's an easy solution to this, but I'm just going to go mmm for a little bit until you've done some thinking. One of the best skills you can learn as a parent is a wonderful skill called uh, reflective listening. But I love this phrase. Being listened to is so much like being loved. Most people can't tell the difference. This is why people fall in love with their doctors and counsellors and ministers and things. He listens to me. But honestly, I wish I'd learnt this tip earlier in my marriage. And uh, so reflective listening is a little skill that we teach in our toolbox courses. I've got a little video clip from one of the toolbox courses that just gives you an outline of it. So have a look at this and you'll know a lot more about what I'm talking about when uh, when it's done. Have a look.
2: It's good to listen, eh? Hard though. Always want to butt in with my advice or solutions. I just want to comment on what someone's telling me. Yeah, no, no, I, re- I remember the time when I... Re- you know, sometimes I just need to learn to shut up. Hey boy, what's wrong with you? Oi, 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 hang on. Some phrases and tones will shut kids down straight away. Now, come on, let's try it again, Chief. Hey son, you're looking a bit sad, mate. Ah, much better, leaning in, bit of eye contact. It's all good. You okay, mate? That stupid teacher, she perks on me all the time. Mrs. Brown's not stupid. And if she's picking on you, she's picking on you for a reason. So obviously, you've done something wrong. Yeah, good one, bro. That's going to gently draw the problem out, isn't it? It's that stupid teacher. She picks on me all the time. So you're feeling a bit picked on? Well, I was printing my project, and she told me to hurry up and sit down because you should have finished that last period. Well if you should have finished it last period, why didn't you finish it last period? See, that's the problem, boy. You need to be a little bit more organized. Hey, 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 hey. careful, bro. Well, I was printing my project and she told me to hurry up and sit down because you should have finished that last period. You must have felt a bit stinky. Well, it wasn't that bad because a whole lot of people in our class didn't finish it all. <laughs> uh. Might do my next project here at home then. Good idea. Anything to eat, bro? Let's go raid right the fridge. See, the kid's got a good brain, and after they would cleared the emotion out, they can start using it. But if you pile in there with accusations and blame, then their brains just jam up with emotion. Reflective listening, a great skill you can use in just about every relationship,
1: unless of course
2: you work as a bouncer.
1: How much advice did that dad end up giving? None. And yet, was his role still important? Absolutely. He got that kid's mind into a place where that child could actually do his own thinking. And that's so much better than just spouting out our own advice to them. And by the way, I call that, what Pio did there, discipline. My definition of discipline is helping a child to make a better decision next time. That child got in trouble at school. Okay? And are they going to make a better decision next time? Yes. Did that discipline get achieved by telling them off or setting some penalty? No. Did that child feel chastened and uh, as if the father was really angry? No. Did he feel less loved or more loved? More loved. I hope that sort of challenges your idea about discipline. That's why I'm very happy to come back sometime to talk to you about discipline. But this is about actually about uh, these other things that... um, that also come from just feeling loved, this idea of um, being happy, confident, and resilient because you are loved. And so you diffuse the, his um, emotions with your soothing words and sounds and mm. It indicates that you've heard them and that it's important to you, and accepting their feelings is accepting them. Another lovely way of being able to Let your children know that they're loved. And remember, that's the key of resilient kids, is by using the love languages, which you may have come across in marriage and relationship stuff, but it does work very, very well in parenting as well. Love languages are the idea that we are wired differently from each other. And and one of the key ways is the way that we like to have affection and love shown to us. And it's usually the way that we tend to show love back. We have a predominant way. There's five listed up there there may be others but these are ways that people like to have love shown to them we probably all enjoy them but there'll be one in particular that we particularly resonate with and love to have love shown to us in that way and it's usually the way we show love to others as well and a couple that we like a lot and maybe one or two that are just a bit icky. if you're not a touchy person you don't like that that, uh, um, and you may not be a words person but you love some other way to to illustrate in our family of five each of us had a different love language which is very inconvenient except that it gives me an, an opportunity to be able to speak about them and my wife for instance if i buy her chocolates and flowers that's never a dumb thing to do but if i really want to make her purr if i really want to let her know that she is loved i'll tell her what a wonderful wife she is and how much i love her and how beautiful she's looking and What a great job she's doing. And she just melts because her love language is words. Words of affection and praise and encouragement, and she just loves that. For her, the words in those greeting cards are possibly even more important than the present the card is attached to. She'll read every line of those sappy little poems as if it had been composed, especially for her. Oh, oh, that's lovely. Me, I just rip the card off, look on the back to see how much it costs, and then rip into the wrapping paper because I'm wired a bit differently. So <clears throat> it's the way she shows love. We're apart quite often just the nature of our jobs, but we're contacting each other through messages and texts. And uh, she's just spent 10 days in America, and we had WhatsApp messages going backwards and forwards and things. Time zones were you know, carefully worked out to be maximally inconvenient, as far as I can work out, but anyhow, uh, you know, so lots and lots of communication, even when we're apart. you just got to be careful who you send your texts to. Um, I still regret that. that. I thought it was a very clever compilation of fruit emoticons, but anyhow, the person I sent it to didn't seem to think so. But anyhow... um, Uh, what was I saying? I've just flushed with embarrassment then and can't remember what I was talking about. The, uh, yeah, so it's also the area where she's very sensitive. If I'm harsh with my tone, she could pick it up. If I'm a little bit hesitant or cool or bit, bit, giving her a bit of a silent treatment, I couldn't be crueler than do that. She is so sensitive in that area. And so that's her love language. Uh, my oldest boy, his love language is gifts. Very generous gift giver. And every one of his, he was the only one of our kids that put things in special places and looked after things really well because they had significance and meaning to him. And when he's with his mates, they're sort of endlessly swapping musical equipment and sports gear and and software and stuff. um, They seem to work out their friendship in token form. By the way, about his stuff in his bedroom, he would also get so offended if his little brother and sister went and touched his stuff without asking because things had significance to him. Um, My love language, like a lot of blokes, acts of service, pottering around the house, pretending to fix things, working hard, that type of stuff. And this this is where you start to get an inkling of how this stuff could be useful because this isn't just an observation. This is a tool that you can use. Because what happens if you have one love language and the other person has a different love language? Well, for a start, you may not realize that there is a lot of love going on. I know at least two couples who reckon this insight saved their marriage. They, they suddenly dawned on them that they weren't in the bleak, loveless relationship they thought they were in. There was a lot of love going on, but it was just being transmitted in different love languages. It was like one of them was speaking in Afrikaans and the other one speaking back in Korean I live in Browns Bay. That sort of thing goes on all the time. But it's, it was just a, a completely misconnection mis- of, um, of languages. And, uh, you know, you might see your man driving in the drive. Here he comes. He's going to come running up here and hug me and kiss me and tell me how much he loves me. And no, he's gone in the garage again. Doesn't he love me anymore? Of course he loves you. That's why he is down in that garage fixing that lawn mower for you. So you can then mow the lawns for him on Saturday. You see how this love language thing was? He is loving his heart out. But you've got a love language tuned to a different station and you're just not picking that up. It's just going to go straight past you. You're just pining that you're not getting told that you're being loved and you're not getting hugged or whatever your love language might be. Petra Baggist, who works at the parenting place. She is a words person, and her man is an acts of service guy. And he, she would love him to tell her that he loves her more often than he does. But she says that she'll come home late after working, and she'll get into bed, and there'll be a hot water bottle waiting for her at the foot of the bed. And she says, I translate what he has done into my love language. That is him saying to me, I love you. But it's just not coming out of his mouth. Okay, so that's something you can do. Another thing you can do is learn to speak a few words in their love language. And that will be just so appreciated. Okay, so if you can, um, you know, you just think, what's their love language? For instance, Pierre, that was on the video before, he recognized that his boy's love language was words. And so he thought, okay, I'll, I'll drop post-it notes into their lunchbox just to let them know that I'm thinking of them. But he couldn't think what to say, so the first one just said, eat your lunch. Um, But he said he got better at that type of thing, just leaving little notes for them. And so um, just think about this. And the thing is, most of us, it doesn't occur to us, Of course my girl knows that I love her. I make her lunches. I clean up after her. I drive her places. I'm coaching the netball team. Of course she knows that I love her. No, she just might think that you're a slightly frantic, manic, overworked woman who should slow down and give her a kiss and a cuddle every so often because you're loving your heart out. How? In your love language of actions and service, and they're just holding out there for you to actually say, I love you, or to give them a cuddle and a hug and and a kind look. Okay, can you see how this could work? Okay, I'm going to give you some homework. And that is, first of all, to memorise that list, and you actually don't have to memorise it because if you send me an email, uh, I'll send you a PDF of all the slides, okay? So I'll give you the email a bit bit later. Uh, Try all five of the love languages every day with each of your children because maybe you can't work out what your love language is Maybe your kids don't actually have one, but I bet you've sorted one, you've settled into one. And you're brilliant at showing your kids love in your particular love language. So here's the here's the challenge. You have to try all five love languages every day with each of your children. Now, why don't you throw your partner in on the list as well? And sometimes it will feel really awkward because that's just not a way that you tend to function. I don't do words. I love, I love, I lo- oh, get away. You know, it just doesn't, it just chokes in your throat a little bit. You can get good at it. It'll, it will feel like writing if you're left hand, if you're right handed. But the thing is, you can write with your left hand if you're right handed. You just have to be a bit more intentional and it'll take a while to get good at it. But it'd be a lovely experiment and you might have a lot of fun doing that. So that's your homework. Happy, confident and resilient kids. That's where we're headed. Okay, Indulged children are as miserable as deprived children. I heard that first from a psychologist called Sylvia Rim many years ago when she visited New Zealand. And I've taken that to heart, that you can actually make children miserable by doing everything for them. I'm putting that up first because I'm gonna have to take about six or seven slides to convince you of something. Because there is a course that you can do with your children to boost their resilience and it's a hard course, and your kids will not like it, and you won't like doing it with them, and yet it's been proven to work so reliably, and so I realize this is gonna be a hard sell if I'm gonna convince you to do this, and um, because you're gonna have to convince your kids which is gonna be even harder to do this course. This course, brace yourself, is called chores. Chores have an overwhelmingly proven ability to generate resilience and confidence in kids. They are not just punishment for being young. Research into some very successful people showed that one of the few things they all had in common was they were required to do chores when they were young. Why would this lead to success? Well, the real secret of success is do the hard thing. That's what I've got written on my wall of my office. Do the hard thing. No, I think I'll check Facebook first. No, do the hard thing. Oh, all right, I'll do those invoices. And, <clears throat> and that is the secret to success. Chores are hard. No one really enjoys doing chores. It's nice to have finished them, but they're not really all that fun. You might be able to kid a three-year-old that a, that a vacuum cleaner is fun for a little while, but after a while, they'll soon get to uh, realise that no, chores are just chores. But it's important. Chores are not punishment for being young, they teach life skills, they teach resilience, they teach teamwork when you're contributing to what the family is. Not just, you're not just this unpaid slave rushing around doing everything for them, everyone chips in and does what they can do. They can build self-esteem and connectedness, the sense of being part of a team. My wife works with people with serious mental health problems and many of them have been institutionalized many times and they come out of these hospitals often with their symptoms treated, but they need so much support to actually get their life back. And this is because, well, for often for many reasons, but one of the key reasons is that they, for a long time, have been in a place where every decision was made for them. And you don't have to be in that environment long to lose so many skills. And so these people come back into the community to make a life, and they need to learn how to get a phone. They need to learn how to make friends, to get a job, to catch a bus, to get a flat get a date. And these skills, they've just lost them because they've been in these institutions. Don't institutionalise your child. Something you should consider getting embroidered somewhere and sticking up on the wall is that little motto up there, if you do anything for your child that they can do for themselves, you are robbing them. No, I'm being helpful. I love doing things for my children. No, if you're doing things that they could do for themselves, you're actually robbing them of the opportunity of becoming competent and confident and contributors and learning how to look after themselves. If they can take the plates to the dishwasher and you do it for them, robbing them. If they can pull up their duvet and tuck their pillow, tuck their jammies under the pillow and you do it for them, robbing them. Okay, so it's hard, eh? Because you're thinking about all that resistance you're going to get. You're thinking about, it's easier for me to do it than to get them to do it. Yes, you're right. They won't like it. No, they won't. They'll hate me, possibly. Yes, this is hard. I told you it was going to take a bit to convince you, but you've got to believe that this is actually for their benefit. I can remember my wife coming back from a school camp when our kids were young, and she was saying, wow, you can really tell the kids that do chores at home. Because on camp, everybody has to do things, and there were some kids That were positively distressed when there was a broom in their hand or a cloth that had to wipe down the sinks in the bathrooms. They just didn't know what to do, and other kids were just getting into it because they just knew what to do. And so, this is another thing: it 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 also it helps give people a sense of where they are in the world, and that is not usually at the dead center of the universe. I have done quite a few seminars now up in Singapore, Hong Kong and China and on parenting and many of them have parenting issues similar to what you'd have here but they do have a peculiar, not peculiar but a a set of problems that devolve from the fact that they usually have very small families. Uh, Since the 1980s they've been encouraging or forcing some you know parents to only have one child that's relaxing a little bit, but it's still very typical for a Chinese family to be one child with two parents and four grandparents, and all focused on this very super important child. Their family trees don't branch, they converge onto these incredibly valuable, precious children. Now, it's lovely that they're precious, but that kid can't do a thing without some grandparent stepping in and, um, and doing it for them. I heard the phrase that they go to school to learn how to walk because up to that stage, everyone carries them around, and looks after them, and and so they get the idea that they have the centre of the universe. And I don't believe that's healthy for a child. It's not healthy for our children. Of course, we love our children, and they can be super important to us, but it's not good for them to believe that they have the centre of the planet. If uh, if your parenting is a mum and dad together, let them know the centre of your home is the love between the two of you, because if you arrive home and and there's the child going, you know, mom, 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 and you say, g'day, where's dad? And then you go and you hug each other and you debrief of each other and you show affection and then turn your attention to your child. It sends such a powerful message and they, they'll probably act all disgusted, especially if they're teenagers. Oh, get a room, you know. If, if you do get that response, the level of affection you're showing is about right, okay? And, uh, but you know, it sends such a powerful message to them they actually feel very safe under that type of system where there's a a covering of love over them. They're not the centre of the the planet. Anyhow, I'm I'm raving a little bit. It teaches them time management if you couple chores of a thing called grandma's rule. Grandma's rule is you can do what you want to do after you've done what you've got to do. That means, yes, of course I'll take you swimming as soon as you've stacked up the firewood yeah, why don't you come and watch some TV, but you've got some music practice and that vac- and that uh, vacuuming, and then come on through. So, you, uh, you know, you're actually saying, yes, yes, you can do what you want to do, but there's other things you've got to do first. Do them, then you can do this. And, uh, you know, yeah, sure, of course you can have a friend over, but, oh, well, actually, friend time is probably over for today. Let's arrange it for tomorrow, because you've still got the bathroom to clean. Now, you've just said no three times in a row, but didn't it sound like yes? It'll confuse your kids. Uh, But honestly, it will teach them time management if they learn that, hey, I have to get on to things. It will ultimately save you time and energy. As I say, empty are now, but our kids lived at home into their young 20s, and they were good flatmates to have around the place. They cooked, they did their own laundry, they were cleaner than I I am, and um, so, you know, ultimately it ends up saving you time. Not initially. It does take extra energy. And here's something else some of you uber need to take into, into account. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing badly at the start. You call this bathroom clean? Look, at there's a soap spot over there. Look, there's still some mess down the corner here. Oh, great. The kid didn't want to do it in the first place. Now you're telling them off. They're going to be really keen to do it next week. No, what you do is you encourage and praise what you can. You praise what you can and you encourage them to do the rest. Hey, you've spent so much energy here. This is looking so much better. This is fantastic. This is looking really good. But remember what I said about getting dad's toothbrush to clean the black stuff from around the taps? I'll do it now. This is how I want you to do it next week, okay? So, so you're coaching them, you're training them, you don't expect perfection at the start. This is a, you're looking at a long game here and eventually they'll take pride in what they're doing. <clears throat> okay, they will be nicer to live with ultimately, they can move out, hey, it'd be different in a regional city, but in a bigger city, Auckland did a sur- the, uh, the banks did a survey of young people in Auckland, and they found out that they were saying that they expected to live with their parents till about age 28, before they moved out, okay, a survey in Sydney, Showed that young Australian men, the median age for moving out was 26. So I hope you like those kids because they usually hang around and hang around until you have to get the police in to get them evicted from their room in their mid-30s sort of thing. But uh, as I say, it may be different in a regional city where they head off for their um, training and things elsewhere. But if they are going to be living with you, you may as well have them semi-civilised and helpful around the place. And my kids were lovely to have around. After we got through some of the teenage stuff, they're actually great mates to have in the house. And what a lovely gift to your sons and daughters-in-law in in the future. My lovely um, daughter-in-law comes from East Europe where men aren't so inclined to help around the house as they are here. She thinks it's wonderful here that my son is quite happy to do some housework and cooking and things. And um, (coughs) uh, she's actually dreading her mother coming to visit soon because uh, the the regime is much more relaxed than it would be back in their home country. But anyhow... um, what am I saying? By the way, are you simmering with resentment for all the work you do for your kids? You're cleaning up after them. You're working so hard for them. You're doing everything for them and they never seem to notice. They certainly never say, thank you. Oh, thank you for cleaning up after me. Okay. Are you simmering with resentment? Can I just say your kids don't notice? Oh, by the way, they do notice that you are simmering, but they just think that's the way you are. That's just the way they'll remember you when you're dead, okay? Oh, dear old mum, she, oh, yeah, she used to simmer a lot, didn't she? But anyhow, what's going on? I mentioned that I, that I like cycling, and one of the things about cycling in New Zealand is that you have to cope with hills and wind, okay? That's just, that's just the nature of it out on the road. You often get a headwind, and you just push into it. But I can remember riding along down in the Waikato, and I got to where I was going. It was a stiff headwind. I turned around, I was coming back, and I thought, oh, That's incredible. The wind has died away completely. But then I looked over into the field and the corn was bending over. The breeze was still just as strong but now it was on my back. You don't feel a tailwind. If you look down at your speedo, you see that you're whizzing along a little faster than you normally would be but you don't feel a tailwind because you're moving with the wind. You are giving your kids an incredible tailwind by providing them with a lovely home environment, by looking after them so well, by helping them with their schoolwork and all these other advantages you're giving your kids. And what do they notice? They notice that someone in their class has got a better phone than them. They just don't—they just can't see it because they're moving with it. It's the water they swim in. They're just oblivious to it. So maybe if you want to be appreciated a bit more, you maybe need to do a little less. Anyhow, reward charts are a great way to get them underway. You know about reward charts. You pick an activity and you just reward it with some little treat at the end. Uh, it might be uh, a, 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 a choice of something that they can do or it might be some little treat that they'll be hanging out for. Make it, sh- make it attainable. It keeps you focused on progress. It's actually good for actually changing behavior. I don't believe it's a good thing for sustaining behavior. Don't use reward charts all the time because one of the things that my rats taught me at the psych labs back when I was learning psychology is that you reward a behavior, you'll see more of that behavior but if you take the reward away, you might see the behavior stop. And so if your kids are being rewarded for doing something and you take the reward away, I'm not going to do it for nothing. And so for this reason, I don't believe that you should pay them to do chores. Pay them for other things. There should be opportunities for them to earn a bit of money if they want to. But for the basic chores they do, no, you do that because you're part of the family. Can I just ask, is there anyone here who gets paid by their kids for doing the lovely things you do for them? Is there anyone getting paid by your kids? Or well, why do you do it then? Because of love-led duty. And that's what your kids need to learn too, that a lot of this life is love-led duty and it's a beautiful thing. So why should your kids be deprived of that beauty? Okay, so I think they should have pocket money. And why should they get pocket money for doing nothing? Because they're little and cute and it's not going to last long, okay? So, uh, but, so they should get pocket money and you can link the two. You can say, hey, I'm going to hold up your pocket money until that bathroom's sparkling. Okay, so you can link them, but don't call it wages. Hey, you haven't done your chores. Oh, that's all right, I'm working up at the dairy now. Keep your $10, I'm getting 20 up there. But these are your chores. No, we entered into a labour w- agreement and I'm withdrawing my labour. So if you're really wanting to grow little capitalists, you go for it, but I reckon that they should just do chores because chores are what you do in this family. Okay, pay them extra for extra work. The lawns are their chores, but maybe the edging or the hedges, they get an extra 10 bucks for or something. You know what I mean? Anyhow, I'm raving. And I think, look, well, let's just take um, a little two-minute break. Just just two minutes, just to find the bathrooms down there, fill up a glass of water or something. Actually, I don't think there is any more, but just a two-minute break. And uh, by the way, I'm not going to have questions at the end, but I will be lingering if you want to come and talk to me. But I do warn you that by that stage I will have speaker breath, so don't stand straight in front of me, just stand a little bit back and off to the side a little bit, but I'm very happy to talk to you afterwards. So let's just take two minutes. Right, that's working. Um... We're talking about just introducing this idea of chores. And one of the best ways of doing them is by, (coughs) I'm sorry, the best way to get your kids doing it is to encourage them into it uh, and praise them when they're doing it well. I love the fact that schools are are latching onto this idea. and And I actually saw it in a management book, a book for bosses a while back. It said that praise is the fastest route to change. It works better than nagging threats and bribes. So if you're wanting to change your children's behaviour, you can use nagging threats and bribes. Apparently that works. But if you're wanting to do it faster, praise actually works better. Which means if you spot your children doing something, even half-pie, right, you comment on it. Thank you for starting that without me asking you. That's really cool. Look at that. You brought your bag out and I didn't have to prompt you. That's fantastic. love the way you included your brother in the game this afternoon. That was very kind of you. So you're just noticing these little things kids love that and you'll see more of that behavior but what if they're not doing things well what if you can't praise them if the behavior you know if it's subpar well praise what you can praise and then encourage the rest that's what i was talking about in the bathroom situation you send your boys off to clean up their bedroom and you go down there after a while and they haven't done a thing they're just lying on their beds playing with their tablets and if you go in there and go, oh, this is fantastic, this is wonderful, you boys are so clever, you've just completely ruined praise as a tool. You've just um, devalued it. They'll think, mum is blind, or mum is stupid, but either way, her praise isn't worth a thing. She just flaps her jaw in the wind out, tumble those words, and they don't mean a thing. Great, doesn't work anymore. Okay, so... Um, If you can't praise, what do you do? Do you criticize? No, you encourage. You encourage them to do the rest. So you praise what you can praise. Hey, I think you've made a start. I can even see a patch of floor. But look, I can see jammies that need to go in the pillows, some shoes that need to go in the cupboard, some toys that need to go in the box, some dirt that goes under the mat. I'll come back and check in five minutes, and I reckon you boys can make a fantastic difference. Now, what have you done there? Well, for for a start... um, you've broken the task down into little bits. That is a fantastic way to give them some confidence to get going because some tasks are just so big. Saying, clean up your room is like, to your child, it's like someone saying to you, go and make your business profitable. Go on, off you go, go and make it profitable. It's just too big. Like I'm just dreading the day my wife tells me to clean up my garage. I'd rather burn the house down than try and (laughs) clean up the garage. It's just too big. But I guess if I made a list of little tasks to get me there, I could make a start on it. That's what you're doing with the You're breaking it into kid-sized bits. Jammies there, shoes there, books on the shelf, you know, and so you're breaking it down. And also, it reduces the chance for them to um, put the brakes on because they don't know what to do. Boys especially will do this. I told you to hang up those shirts! And they will fight you, they will argue, I'm not going to do it. What they're not going to tell you is that they tried twice and the shirt kept on sliding off the hanger. And they would far rather be thought bad than dumb any day. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Okay, so this just breaks this down. This removes that passive-aggressive resistance sometimes you get from kids. You know passive-aggressive resistance, which is moving that little bit too slow, forgetting what you're asked to do, Drifting off tasks, not following through to completion. You thought your child had some developmental disorder, but no, they're just being passive aggressive and they're punishing you and possibly you deserve it. I don't know. Anyway, feigned compliance, slowness, forgetting, breaking it down into little tasks, encouraging them on the way, praising them when they get it right. Things will change, but I'm not going to pretend getting chores underway in your house is going to be easy, but it's worthwhile. Let's change things and I talked about tailoring parenting to suit your kids right in that list of, uh, of make, make, make your parenting fit your child. And if we're gonna have happy, confident, and resilient kids, they need to have parents that are switched on to them, that get them, that understand them, that don't treat them just um, um, like everyone else, they know, you, 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 they know that you know them. And our kids do differ. If you've got more than one child, you'll be amazed that this variety can spring from the same shuffle of genes. And there can be such a lot of difference in their giftings and personalities and tastes and the things that motivate them. And there's been a lot of thought about that. I'm just going to, this is just going to be a once over lightly on a few things. Now, I used to be a bit of a, I used to be a scientist and I, I do like science. And so I find some psychology stuff a little fluffy, quite honestly. Uh, especially some of this personality typing stuff. I sometimes think it's a little bit too much like a Facebook quiz, you know, those quizzes that you enjoy doing, who are you on the Starship Enterprise and things like that. But I have come to sort of realise that these things can be useful, even if they're not perhaps ground down into hard science. They at least give you an insight and a vocabulary to think about how our kids are different. So for what it's worth, I'm throwing this out there, I find it useful, maybe you'll find it useful too, just to think about how our children differ. And one of the ways they differ is the order in which they arrive in our families. And when I saw this, I thought, that is so my family. My oldest is more sober, serious, relates to the world of adults more, followed the family in, the, in, in, in all sorts of ways. And our second, girl, our second child, our girl, headed off at 90 degrees on all of those things. Very typically, you have a responsible oldest, followed by a fiery second, and then if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have any others, well, they often tend to be a bit cute and clever and naughty. Now, why should they differ? Why should they differ? Because they've got different parents. Your your firstborn, by who, by the way, was a single child. Your firstborn was a single child until the later ones came along. Had these young, uptight anxious to do everything right, eager parents, who filled out every graph in the Plunkett book, who had five photo albums of labeled photos by their first birthday, every sniffle down to the doctor, every piece of art they brought home from kindy was framed and stuck on the wall, or scanned and sent off to grandma. And um, you know this has an incredible impact on a child. By the time the third one comes along, you're so over all that stuff, aren't you? What's that, another certificate? Oh, throw it on the pile, you know. I think we've got only about three pictures of our youngest child. And What, the neighbour reckons your leg's broken? Well, hobble off to A&E and see what they reckon, you know. You know, you're just a little bit more relaxed and also a little bit more worn out. And so, of course, these kids are going to be different. They have different parents. They also have a different environment because your firstborn, as I say, is a single child. has has the parents alter themselves, but your second child is born into competition. They have to compete for the the most precious resource of all, which is your attention. And so very typically your second born, you know, by the way, we thought we were such good parents when we just had Bernie. Everything we did seemed to work. And your second child is a gift from God to let you know that you know nothing about parenting really. Um, Because second children tend to be now there's got to be huge exceptions to this, but they tend to be a little bit more oppositional, fiery, and dramatic. We described our lovely Susanna as having a sunny disposition with sudden squalls, and uh, she is still a very powerful girl. And the youngest ones, well, they're born into competition too. But how are they going to compete with these bigger kids by outcuting them and exploiting the fact that these parents are now exhausted, worn-out husks? Okay, and. Uh, and who just don't care quite so much about some of those rules and things like that, could you put up your hands, please, if you're the firstborn in your own family of origin? Keep your hand up if you think that your younger, children, younger siblings got away with stuff that you didn't. Oh, look, not a hand went down, some went up higher, okay? <laughs> not, not exactly a scientific survey, but making the point here, okay? So, how, does this, how is this more than just some little observation? You can use this. This is a parenting insight, okay? For a start, with your firstborn child, give them a break. You have loaded them up often with all your hopes and dreams and aspirations and your own frustrated um, dreams for your own life. This child is going to be a pilot and a surgeon and an all-black and a ballerina, okay? They're going to live out all your frustrated dreams, uh, and they're gonna, you know, you t- we tend to ride our, our firstborn a little too much and give them a bit too much responsibility. Give them a break, let them be a child. Let them have a bit of extra privilege if they are responsible for looking after their younger siblings and things as well. So just ease up a little on them. For your secondborn, they love one on one time with you. Okay, they get sick to death of being hauled off to their older brothers saxophone lessons and their little brother's soccer and they just love the idea of having their own space, their own stuff and their own time with you. So can I urge you to have mum dates and dad dates with all your kids but I think your second born will enjoy it the most. Uh, just that one on one time at bedtime just listening to them, giving them that extra time, they'll really appreciate that. Best times I had with Susie was taking her away on trips. Just the two of us together. Fantastic. And our youngest, youngest children, as I said, tend to be cute, clever, and naughty, and they're getting away with stuff that you won't hear until their mates make speeches at their 21st, okay? You, we just need to lift our game a little bit with them because I bet they're doing stuff, hey? I know they look like angels. Hey, I'm the youngest of five. I know about this stuff, all right? And so we just need to be a little bit more onto it with them. We may be a little too relaxed. We're cleverer because we're older, but we may just need to tighten up things a bit. Hey, this also applies to us. All of those who put your hands up before as being the firstborn, and weren't you surprised how many of this audience were firstborns? Because you want to do things right. Can Can you just be a little bit more relaxed about it? You know, life doesn't have to fit on an Excel spreadsheet. You might just be a little bit too... Well, you know what I'm meaning, okay? I've made the point. You're clever enough, okay? And if you're the youngest in your family, can I just say, as the youngest in my family, we need to lift our game. We're possibly just a little bit too relaxed about our parenting. It's a wonder we're here. Okay, but anyhow. And if you're the middle child in your family, you're doing absolutely Perfectly, I wouldn't. I'm too scared of you to try and tell you not to do anything otherwise than that. Hey, but look, here's another way in which it differs. And uh, and that is our temperaments. You've heard of temperaments and stuff. Um, uh, I, used to, I there's all sorts of ways. Some of you have done enneagrams. Some of you've done um, uh, what do you call it Myers-Briggs. There's the old one called the Socratic humors, where people divided up into calerics and asthmatics and I could never remember the terms until someone put animal labels on and now they've stuck in my head okay I can't remember what the original terms were but I think you'll get an idea of this by the way can I just say right at the start I don't necessarily believe all that much in personality typing but it does seem to make a certain sense and it does give us a a language to think about our kids also your kids won't fit neatly into boxes they'll be a blend they can change and also, um, there's no good or bad ones. All of them can have fantastic careers and relationships. All of them have got fantastic strengths and are weak points if they're allowed to drift away. Now, some of you are fortunate enough to have otters, the performers, the, the sociable ones. Where's the party? No party, must be at my place. They're the ones who bring home kids and stray pets. They bring home, uh, they don't bring home their homework much, but they bring home, you know, friends, they're visionaries, they're motivators, they're fun, they're verbal, they, you've had to listen to a lot of knock-knock jokes that didn't quite work. And you possibly had to sit out on deck chairs watching little plays on your porch. And, um, you know, that type of thing. They love, they, they, they're very, you know, they get in trouble at school, not because they're villains, but because they've done something silly, or they're talking when they should be listening, you know, the type of thing. And you go along to those school meetings and you can just tell your teacher loves that child. Oh, he is just so much fun, but we do have the stack of homework he hasn't done. Okay, so this is the thing. They will go on to have fantastic careers as teachers and and they're they're wonderful in organisations because they just help organisations go. Come on, guys, let's go, let's go. We can do this, let's do this together and I'll let you do the real work because I'm bored already. And that's the thing about uh, these otter va- uh, otters. Fantastic at getting things started and not so good at the finishing off the details sort of thing. They'll be arriving at the bus stop and their mates will be talking about an assignment they have to do—they have to hand in today. What assignment? And they'll do it on the bus and still get a pass mark because they're brilliant. But, you know, the, so they just need a little bit of assistance with the detail of life. They need to learn about that calendar function on their phone, they need to learn about lists. You need to not just ask, have you got any homework? You need to say, can I see your homework? Can I see the list of stuff you had to do? And just checking off a little bit more closely. But you don't try and de-otterize them, okay? They, um, you know, it's, it's, it's their strengths, but their weakness could trip them up and that is that attention to detail and things. So the otters need to be slowed down a little bit. But some of you have got very powerful lion children. Okay, The lectural leaders who have followers who work out what games are going to be played and how they're to be played and make up the rules as they go along. And firm, enterprising, competitive, controlling, goal-driven, independent, self-reliant, fantastic attributes. And um, our Susie is a very much a lion, very much a leader. We could tell that when she had her little girlfriends around. They were playing games. She'd be telling them what to do. And I can remember that her little brother came out to join in. You know, and they're playing families. Can I join in? Yes. Sit over there and pretend you haven't been born yet. <laughs> and he did. That's the thing, he did. And it's 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 a of no surprise at all to us that she has gone on to have a have you know very successful senior executive roles already even though she's still quite young. She is a natural leader. Now a problem that lions can have, but I'm very proud of the fact that my Susie doesn't because she's actually very good in this area, is that they can burn off friends and relationships. They often have followers rather than friends. I'm possibly the only one old enough here to remember Fred at Flintstone and Barney Rubble, but they're like Fred and Barney relationships, a, you know, a, a big personality with others just following along in their wake. And they can sometimes not be particularly good with their friends. And so if you've got a lion, that's fantastic. They'll make a lot of money that will be handy when you retire. And um, if they'll let you anywhere near it. But uh, you just need to do a little bit more empathy training with them. You know, how, how, oh look, how would your friend feel about that? Are you making sure they're having enough turns on the game? Sometimes giving them a pet to care for can be really useful. Just to bring up that more caring and nurturing side. So just tuning them into the emotions of others can be very useful. Some of you are fortunate enough to have lovely golden retriever kids. They care for others, they listen, they are so sympathetic and empathetic. Okay, I am married to a lovely golden retriever. I don't call her that for obvious reasons, but she, she is so caring and empathetic and calm and loyal, thoughtful. I'm such a fortunate man. And if you've got Golden Retriever kids, then you are very, very fortunate as well because they won't give you a stick of trouble until the police bring them home because they've been out with their mates and their mates wanted to go joyriding in the stolen car and they didn't know how to say no. They're very, very good at doing what they're told, which is excellent when it's you doing the telling. Not so good when it's their mates telling them what to do or their boyfriend. Okay, so... uh, For the sake of their health, their hearts, their happiness, you need to give your golden retrievers boundaries. How to say no, how to hold to their own values and ideas, how to stick up for themselves, how to defend their point of view, how to be a bit more assertive. Assertive is the thing that you need. I went on an assertiveness course that was so good, I demanded my money back at the end. And uh, that's not true. But it is true they need assertiveness. And... uh, And if you're a golden retriever parent, could I just say, you need assertiveness. You need boundaries of those kids. Otherwise, you'll turn your kids into monsters. Okay, so you need to learn how to say no. You need to stand in front of that mirror and practice it. No, no, it won't come out right because you haven't said it nearly enough in your life. Okay, so you need to just be a little bit more assertive. And you need to do it because you love these people that you're being assertive with. You cannot have intimacy without safety you cannot have safety without boundaries you will turn your partner your bosses and these children that you love into bullies in your world if you don't have some assertiveness and you love them too much to allow that to happen okay so for the sake of those precious people in your world you need to learn how to defend your boundaries and be assertive that's so important mums if you've got boys for the sake of their hearts, for the sake of every other woman they're going to relate to in their life, you need to draw yourself up in your dignity and not allow them to push you around or bully you or do anything like that, okay? Otherwise, a crease could get ironed into their souls that could be really, really nasty for the rest of their life. You need to arm yourself with little phrases like, no one who gave me stretch marks is going to talk to me like that. And you stick up for yourself and stick up for all the women in your world, okay? Okay. Anyway, golden retrievers, they are lovely. They just need a bit of assertiveness. So the, so the otters need to slow down. The, golden ret- the, see, the lions need to soften up. These guys need to toughen up a little bit. And some of you have the little know-everything-about-something beavers. You know, you're, if you, you, they'll be an expert on something. They'll know all the shortcuts on your computer. Okay, maybe, you're, maybe you are one of these beavers. And you like to make lists, and your garage is clean as an operating theatre, you know that there is a right way to fold up power cords, you have hundreds of little drawers with screws all sorted into order, and you've got stenciled shapes on the wall for where the tools have to go back, and you get slightly freaked if they're not there, or even if they're there but they're around the wrong way, okay, you know, the type of person. And some of you are like that, and I'm just grateful that there's people like this in the world, because it's the... It's the beavers in the world that have kept me out of jail by making sure that my taxes get paid and I turn up to places on time and everything. So I'm very grateful. The beavers do the real work in the world and let us otters just have some fun. So I'm very grateful for that. If I'm being operated on, do you think I'd want an otter surgeon? Oh, come out of the anaesthetic and there they are grinning at you. Oh, actually, I decided to carry on the scar to make a nice smiley face if you're nervous. (laughs) And if you see the contact lens... Uh, and uh, no, if I'm flying in a plane, I don't want an autopilot, eh? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the co-pilot reckons we can't, but I reckon we can. We're going to have a crack at getting under the Harbour Bridge, you know. No, you want, you, want, you want a beaver in that control room up the front. What do they call it? Cockpit. Okay, so anyway, beavers, fantastic. Detailed. Do the real thing. the will work in the world. Could I just say, if you've got a beaver child, you may need to rescue them from being boring. They may get so absorbed in their computers and their video games that they may need to just get a little bit of an energy from you to learn how to switch that machine off, to feel a knee in the small of their back pushing them outside into the sunshine or else they can die of vitamin D deficiency. Okay, so they also need to be defended a little bit because sometimes people can take advantage of them. They can also be anxious because they can start a project and restart it and restart it with this perfectionist uh, procrastination. And they can be a bit shy. They may need to learn a few skills and being able to be out there in the real world, but they'll be fine. All of these kids will be fine. These are just little tools to help you um, get to grips with it. And your otters need affection, attention, and approval. Okay? They just hate it if, you're der- if you use derision on them but they do need those extra boundaries. Lions need credit for their, for their bravery. They make big, bold decisions. Sometimes they make big, steaming mistakes. Golden Retrievers love to be praised and honored and valued, and they love to hear you talking about them. You're talking on the phone to your own mum, and you're describing some lovely kind act that they did or something. They'll pretend they're not listening, but of course, everything you say in the house is heard. By the, your home is bugged, do you realize that? Two cameras, two microphones per child, they never seem to, you know, they're watching and listening to everything you say. And if you, they pick up that you're proud of them, your golden retriever will purr. That is a, a mixture of symbolism, but you know what I mean. Okay, and your beavers, space, support, security. Honestly, they really respond well to family meetings where you give them a bit of warning ahead of time about what you're going to talk about and ask them to bring some ideas. They love that. You know, hey, we're going to be talking about our holiday, the long weekend's coming up. I think we'll head up north, but I'd like some ideas from you about what we could do. You you don't spring it on them. You give them a bit of space and then the opportunity to talk at the table with no one else talking over the top of them. They love that. In fact, all of them love family meetings. The otter gets a chance to entertain. The lion gets a a chance to tell everyone what to do. The golden retriever just loves being part of everything. And so you know, family meetings can work really, really well. Hey, only a couple of minutes left. But I want to just run back on that initial idea. And as I said right at the start, lots of ways to build resilience, confidence, and happiness in children. But letting them know that they're loved is the key one that I hope that you've got tonight. Just a few little tips on showing your love. And the first is, if you've had an awful time with your child lately, reset the relationship. And one of the ways of doing that is actually make a list of things you like about them and make a point of commenting on them. We've done this in our house. Amazed at how effective this is. Just had a list inside the cupboard of things that we actually liked about our child and that we're having a bit of trouble with at the time. And within a week, shoulder came back, self-esteem flowing into them, and compliments coming back the other way. So just try to make a point of commenting positively, because otherwise we can just get excessively negative, always picking on the negative things and dragging them down. Stop and look at your child possibly the biggest enemy to modern family life is busyness we're busy they're busy we're racing past each other you need the skills of an air traffic controller just to work out where your kids are sometimes but can i just urge you just to pause as they come past and to smile at them to greet them to give them the gift of both eyes and both ears to put the remote down to mute and talk to them just make those most of those opportunities as you're passing. Let them know. You know, the last thing they see of you often is you chasing them up to the bus stop or pushing them out the door or, or driving past their school and not even properly stopping. You just push them out the door. You're it's so frustrated with them. That's the last memory, memory of you as they're heading off to school. Concentrate on lovely farewells and reunions with your kids. It really does help them feel secure and confident during the day, knowing that home base is safe. We've got a castle back home. I can fight dragons as long as I can run back home, pull up the drawbridge, and there's my castle with mum and dad on my side. Unconditional love. Now, if I have the opportunity to talk about um, discipline, I'd really get a major on this because unconditional love is is the fact that we love them because we love them. And our kids, though, get a very clear message that we love them because they're good. We love them because they're well-behaved. We love them because they're doing the right stuff, and we don't love them when they're not. And that is a very dangerous message for kids to take into adolescence. If they believe that, and a lot of them do, they could be sitting there going, Mum and Dad love me when I'm good. If they knew what I was up to with my mates, if they knew what I was looking at on the internet... If they knew what I had hidden underneath this mattress, they wouldn't love me. This is a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, And so I don't know if any kid actually ever consciously thinks that, but I think this is the thing that soaks into them. And that's why they distance themselves a bit from their parents. Far better if they go, I'll be in so much trouble if mum and dad knew what I was up to, but I know that they'd still love me. And so... As you're disciplining your kids, and there'll be times when you get really irate with some of the things they do when they're little. Separate out the child from the behavior. Instead of going, kid, you're a problem, you can go, honey, you've got a problem, and for a start, you're not going out this Friday night, okay? Um, you know, you, you're treating the issue as something different. The behavior is unacceptable, you are always acceptable. this behavior, you are always loved very very hard if not impossible to do that in the middle of a telling off by the way you might have to separate it out so you go back into their bedroom that night and you sit on the edge of their bed and you say i was as mad as heck earlier on you could tell that i wasn't happy with what you did but i'm not angry now and i won't be angry tomorrow and i'm glad tomorrow's a new day because it'll be a fresh start all right but i've still got your xbox until saturday Okay, so the penalty is still there. They're not being let off. You're not going all soft on it. But they know that the relationship is intact. The issue was the issue. The relationship is intact. Okay. This is an interesting one. I mentioned before about the very small families in China, but we have small families too. And perhaps some of you might be parenting on your own with maybe just one child, and this is can be particularly an issue there. And that is... We love it when our kids love us. We love it when they give us cuddles and smiles and tell us that they love us and everything like this. But can I just say it's not their job. It's our job to love them unconditionally, extravagantly. But it's not their job to love us. It's lovely when they do, but if we require them to do it, it doesn't work. It, 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 sort of, it, it puts a twist into the relationship. First of all, it gives them incredible power If we're needing their love and we tell them to do something or we start to require, you know, need a bit of discipline or something, all they have to do is start to quiver the bottom lip and we'll back down. They've got too much power in that relationship. Also, they're not good at it. So it's lovely when that love comes back and you'll have a lifetime of love with those kids as they hit adult years. When they're little, they're not very good at it, especially perhaps Toddlers, no, there's times when the kids will break your heart when they're pushing you away. Boys, when their testosterone levels double, and that happens between four and six when your boys turn into really boily boys and they often start to treat their mums badly. Okay, early teens, and all those hormones go wound right up and they're not very good at handling you, and again, late. Teenage years, where they're starting to feel like adults, but they know they still have to live at home. I'm, a, you know, I'm an adult. I need respect. I need my privacy. Can I have twenty dollars in the car, please? And you know, this that awful dilemma that they have, and they don't know how to treat you well. Teenagers, by the way, you know, with their mums, this wonderful, fantastic woman in their life that they love so much, and now she's too. I'm realizing she's a woman and I don't have a woman and sometimes the only way they feel like they can connect with you is by having fights with you and it's which is a weird thing but a lot of you will know what I'm talking about and so if you're needing love and affection it's better that you don't need it from your kids okay you love them love them love them continuously through this but don't expect a lot coming back if you're needing affection and loyalty and responsiveness and companionship by a dog they're much better than kids a lot of at times anyway uh, but um and look hey look i think i'll leave it at that it's uh, nine o'clock and some of you have been here since when did you get here about half past two this afternoon you're here for a long time so um thank you so much for coming out i hope this isn't the last time i come back up here to talk on parenting uh, do try things, I mentioned my email address, sorry I didn't put it up on the screen, here's a little memory test for you, it's my initials, J. am John Cowan, so it's JC, no dot or anything like that, just JC at John Cowan, or one word, John johncowan.co.nz, so if you can remember my name, you've got my email address, initials, JC at John nz. just send me a blank email, I'll know what it's about, it doesn't have to, you don't have to say how much you enjoyed tonight or anything. <laughs> I am an otter, though. So, um, and look, uh, thank you so much to Church Unlimited for hosting tonight and putting it on and giving us all that cake and tea and stuff. And, um, and and I've just had a had a ball being here with you. Look forward to talking to some of you afterwards. Do come and talk to me if you wish, and I'll hand over to Tim.
0: Oh, boy. Such a lot of things to think about. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) And I'm so glad that we've been able to record that, because I know that there's so much to take in. Um, I'm going home to have a really hard look at my third youngest child and (laughs) what she's up to. Anyway, thank you so much, John, and thank you all for coming. It's been so great to see so many different faces here, and I'm just gonna do a quick plug for, we have a family-friendly alternative event coming up, um, alternative Halloween event, um, which is like a giant party. There'll be so much fun stuff going on for kids aged between four and 10. Um, we've got some leaflets about that. And we'd love to meet your kids now that we've met you. So, yeah, we'd love to see you again. And you'd be very welcome. So thank you very much for coming along. And do feel free to stay around and get to know us a bit better. Thank you.